Here it is. From deep inside your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the bees. Federal court ruled this week here in the good old U.S. of A. that the Environmental Protection Agency violated the law. Imagine that. When it approved an insecticide produced by Dow, our old friends from uh, napalm time. The ruling from the Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit means that sulfloxiflor, marketed by Dow under the under brand names that aren't sulfloxiflor, really, it's under the brand names Transform and Closer. It's not approved for use on U.S. crops because it's a neonicotinoid. Because the EPA's decision to unconditionally register it was based on flawed and limited data, we conclude that the unconditional approval was not supported by substantial evidence, the court wrote. We therefore vacate the EPA's registration of sulfoxiflor. The decision is a major win for environmentalists, beekeepers, and the honey industry, mm, who have been fighting for years against neonicotinoid pesticides. Though they filed the lawsuit in 2013 after the EPA unconditionally approved sulfoxiflor's use, despite what opponents said was strong evidence that it's toxic to bees. Yeah, so. But it's not just the bees, ladies and gentlemen. The Center for Food Safety this week released a new report showing widespread water contamination with neonicotinoid pesticides, insecticides, and threatening a range of aquatic invertebrates, including crabs and insects. The report draws attention to the use of seed coatings. I've mentioned this before. That's where they uh, coat the seeds of crop plants with the pesticide so that every part of them, including the leaves, the fruit, and um, whatever blows off them, the pollen, I guess, contains the neonicotinoid insecticide. They uh, So it winds up in the environment, not in the crop, up to 95% of it, according to this report, winds up in the environment, not on the crop in question. They are a class of insecticide known to have acute and chronic effects on honeybees and other pollinator species. But it's more than just the bees. The report shines light for the first time on the full scope of this unrecognized threat to our waters with toxic effects that will harm entire food chains. It's clear the problems with widespread use of neonicotinoids extends well beyond the impacts to pollinators. This could be a second silent spring. Oh, no. Oh, my God. This is according to Larissa Walker, Pollinator Program Director at the Center for Food Safety. This report represents, uh, sorry, examines representative case studies from Maryland, Iowa, Iowa, and California, each of which is experiencing widespread neonicotinoid contamination, exceeding recommended standards as determined by leading experts in aquatic species toxicology. The report also highlights contamination elsewhere, including New York, South Dakota, Texas, and Wisconsin. It describes the key roles of irrigation and field drainage and discusses the growing risks to aquifers, vulnerable wetlands, and the valuable wildlife inhabiting those areas, like birds and sports fish. It's especially shocking that most of this contamination has come from pesticidal seeds that EPA actually exempted from registration and mandatory labeling requirements under our pesticide laws says an attorney with the Center for Food Safety. Our review concludes EPA violated the law. There it is again. This is that nasty old EPA that's so hard on industry. In carving out this massive exemption, it would be the violation of the law, according to the Center for Food Safety. Given this is most widespread use of any type of insecticide in the United States ever, this seems odd. 
says the attorney. The report suggests EPA suspend neonicotinoid registrations due to their unreasonable adverse effects in aquatic ecosystems, adopt more rigorous national aquatic contamination thresholds, stop qualifying uh, and classifying neonicotinoids as reduce-risk pesticides, and stop fast-tracking their registration, comply with Section 7 of the Endangered Species Act in order to protect threatened and endangered aquatic-dependent species and their habitats, apply the Clean Water Act to initiate remedial actions. Don't ask the Corps of Engineers to be the responsible agency. Ask the people in Florida about what happens when the Corps of Engineers enforces the Clean Water Act. It's not just the bees, ladies and gentlemen. Now, a week ago, because we're married people, my wife and I did something for laughs. We watched the Miss America pageant in which one of the uh, contestants said that uh, her her um, public service was, uh, she was uh, advocating uh, for arthritis, which I thought was noble, going against the grain a little bit. And uh, in the um, in the evening, as, as before the evening gown competition began, they still have the evening gown competition. They don't still have the scholarships, though, I don't think. So they've got priorities straight, finally. Uh, one of the hosts of the evening asked one of the judges, what do you look at? What do you look for in the evening gown competition? Um, the host question did not really stimulate a useful answer on the part of the judge. So I suggest the following. Hello, welcome to the show.
Do they carry purses with evening gowns? I don't know. But that's quibbling. From the edge of America, from the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this particular edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the Week. First up, will you welcome to the Apology Deus, Miss Emily Blunt. You made a joke the other day saying you watched the Republican debate and you joked, (laughs) oh, what was I thinking? And some people took that the wrong way. I know you kind of wanted to say... Your yeah. piece about it. I mean, I just, it was so not the intention to hurt anybody or cause any offense. So I really apologize to those that I caused offense. It was, it was just an offhand joke. I think I'll probably leave the political jokes to late night or something. <laughs> and I'm your host of Or Something. What she had said was that she regretted, after watching the Republican first debate, she regretted having become an American citizen. Just a, you know, just a joke about citizenship. And now up to the Apology Deus, Mr. Anderson Cooper. He was having a conversation, or an argument, with a representative of Donald Trump after the Trumpster refused or neglected to correct a questioner at a rally in New Hampshire on Thursday, uh, a questioner who proclaimed that President Obama <laughs> was a Muslim. Just said we're going to be looking at what that. You, what, what you is said that? we're going to be looking at that, the potential training camps, which... You may laugh it off, but there, you know, are potential reports of Muslim radicals. Once again, not Muslim. Andy, I, I spent more time Muslim overseas than you ever have in your little life. So don't tell me about uh, about how would you I'm know my, what my passport off. reads, Anderson? Okay, how much time have you, you spent you overseas? Make it seem, uh, plenty of time overseas. Yeah. We can compare passports. Great. And, and how much time have you spent you in the Muslim world? Not much in the Muslim world. How many Anderson, times you've been to Iraq? How many times you've been to Afghanistan? Anderson, what is what is your point here? Andy, I was rude to you, and I shouldn't have been rude to you. And I don't, I'm sorry. I, I okay. you and I were having. I'm used to it. Don't worry. Three <laughs> <laughs> older brothers. Well, no, dude, okay. Well, I'm not That's used. I'm not used to being rude, and I shouldn't have. I was. I was rude to you. So I'm very. I am apologetic for that. I'm sorry. What he should have done, of course, is just laugh at the man. Sorry. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to let you do this on this, all right? so stupid. It's really so stupid. That's how you deal with him, Anderson. Just like that. Representative Jared Polis, Democrat of Boulder, Colorado, has published an apology for his comments during a higher education subcommittee meeting. During the meeting, Polis said that it would be better to suspend 10 students who were accused of sexual assault if there was a possibility that maybe one or two did it. Now he says, that was a poor choice of words. I went too far by implying that I support expelling innocent students from college campuses, which is something neither I nor other advocates of justice for survivors of sexual assault support. That is not what I meant to say, and I apologize for my poor choice of words. He said, choosing his words, I guess, a little better. Dayline, Louisville, Texas. 
The story of a now former Whataburger employee denying service to two police officers went viral this week. The former employee says there are two sides to every story. The incident was just a misunderstanding. Michael McGovern, who says he was refused service by the employees, a city marshal in Strawn, Texas. No person should make that comment to anybody, he said. He came back at the request of the Whataburger corporate staff who asked him to come so they could apologize. The uh, former employee who said he's received death threats and asked not to be identified talked to a local TV station. The marshal and another officer said they stepped into the Whataburger and were told, we don't serve police officers by the employee. He said he thought the employee was joking, but when he asked if it was supposed to be a joke, the employee said nothing. No smile, no hilarity, nothing, said McGovern. Whataburger fired the employee who's in his 50s. He's worked at the restaurant for nine years. He told the uh, local news station he was sorry for the comment and the attention it is drawn. I want to apologize to Whataburger, he said through tears. I love y'all. I love all y'all. And I'm going to miss working for y'all. He said that Marshall's initial thought was correct. Co-workers know he likes to joke around, and he says that's what he was doing with the comment to the officers. First I thought, oh man, this is a shame, all over a joke. He said, I'm joking around with the police and I lost my job, something I've had over nine years. He also claimed he tried to explain that it was a joke to the officers. The former employee said at one point one of the officers said to him, quote, we're going to make you a star tonight. The officer who filed the complaint is convinced there was nothing funny about it. Humor by amateurs, ladies and gentlemen, always a problem. Former Governor Martin O'Malley, a 2016 presidential candidate, although possibly only he knows that, learned the hard way during an interview Tuesday morning on the Diane Reem show that you shouldn't be late. Governor O'Malley, I must say I'm somewhat surprised that you couldn't make it here in time as you'd promised to, she said at the beginning of the segment. Well, Diane, you can't believe every promise every politician makes, he said. It was calling in by phone. I sincerely apologize. We're following all the applicable rules of the road, but we do not control the traffic accidents. I should have left even earlier. Yeah, absolutely, Reem said. I'm disappointed because it's, you well know it's a national interview on NPR. Please give so the guests can get there on time. A top official in Britain's Labour Party has apologized for saying more than a decade ago that Irish Republican Army bombings and shootings helped bring about peace in Northern Ireland. John McDonald's statement of regret is the latest clarification by the party's new left liber- leaders as they try to counter opponents' claims that their views are extreme. McDonald was appointed Labour's economy spokesman this week by the new party leader, Jeremy Corbyn. He said on BBC television late Thursday, do they still have that? That he was sorry for saying in 2003 that IRA bombs and bullets had brought the British government to the negotiating table and led to the Northern Ireland peace deal. He said his words had been wrong and apologized, quote, from the bottom of my heart for giving offense, unquote. That's right. We never say that uh, military force is necessary to bring the opponent to the table, do we? Do we now? Dateline New York with comedian Steve Ranazizi explains his success. He is frequently attributed his success. He's frequently attributed it to decisions he made after narrowly escaping the World Trade Center attacks on 9/11. Ranazizi, 37, has described working at Merrill Lynch's offices on the 54th floor of the South Tower when the plane first struck the North Tower. I was there, and then the first tower got hit, and we were like jostled all over the place. He told an interviewer in 2009. He fled to the street moments before another plane slammed into his building, he said, and decided that very day his life was too precious to waste opportunities, so he quit Merrill Lynch and became a comedian. <laughs> Nevertheless, he says he remains affected by his memories of that day, but this week he was confronted with evidence that undermined his account. Ranazizi, 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 after a day of deliberation, acknowledged 
that his account was totally fictional. He had been working in Midtown that day, not for Merrill Lynch, which has no record of his employment and had no offices in either tower. So good research, Steve. I was not at the Trade Center on that day, he said in a statement, provided by his publicist. I don't know why I said this. This was inexcusable. I'm truly, truly sorry. I guess it's the only thing that can get more attention for his show than than saying he was uh, in the World Trade Center to begin with. And Michael Moreno and Victor Rojas are Texas teenagers suspended from their football team and school after blindsiding a referee during a game. Video of the incident showed the boys going out of their way to collide with referee Robert Watts, whose back was to the players at the time. The players say they were following orders from assistant coach Mac Breed. You put your trust into this grown-up, this guardian. Your coach has been there for me. I trust him. I did what I was told, Moreno said. Coach pulled Moreno and another player aside and told them, you need to hit the ref. He needs to pay the price. The uh, Allegedly, this all became, happened because the referee had missed calls and used racial slurs during the game, the player said, although the referee, through his attorney, denies the racial slur accusation. The coach is currently on paid leave. He has yet to comment on the allegations lodged against him. The teams, the teens expressed sorrow for the matter and publicly apologized to the referee. I would like to apologize for the mistake that I made, said Rojas. Moreno said he had his plans of being an aerospace engineer, but due to his suspension and the potential for criminal charges, his future plans remain in doubt. The school district is holding a hearing on proper treatment for the teens. But there's a lesson there, ladies and gentlemen. Always follow orders. It always works out so well. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Where are we going to get our food, do you think, in the future? Maybe not from the ocean. Populations of marine mammals, birds, fish, and reptiles have declined by about 50% since 1970. A report that came out this week from the World Wildlife Fund and the Zoological Society of London says... Study says some species people rely on for food are faring even worse. A 74% drop has happened in the populations of tuna, sorry, Charlie, and mackerel. Overfishing, sure, and climate change. Human activity has severely damaged the ocean by catching fish faster than they can reproduce. Well, reproduce faster. Don't tell us, tell a fish. While also destroying their nurseries said the head of World Wildlife Fund International. The report says that sea cucumbers, seen as a luxury food throughout Asia, have seen a significant fall in numbers, 98% in the Galapagos dropping in terms of their uh, production, and a 94% drop in the Red Sea over the past few years. Well, you know what I say, let them eat sea cake. The study notes the decline of habitats such as seagrass areas and mangrove cover, which are important for food and act as a nursery for many species. The report says carbon dioxide is being... Absorbed into the oceans, making them more acidic, damaging a number of species. The authors analyzed more than 1,200 species of marine creatures over the past 45 years. Well, maybe we just got to eat more birds. Not seabirds. And hey, here's here's a, a story. Where do you think this happened, ladies and gentlemen? A prisoner who was sentenced to death as a child now faces death by crucifixion. After his final appeal has been dismissed, Ali Mohammed Al-Nimr was arrested when he was just 17 during a crackdown on anti-government protests. He was accused by the authorities of participation in illegal protests and of firearms offenses, despite there being no evidence to justify the latter charge, according to International Business Times. He was denied access to lawyers at the juvenile facility where he was held. Evidence indicates he was tortured 
and forced to sign a document which was tantamount to confession. That formed the basis of the case against him when he was uh, tried before the specialized criminal court, which whose trials failed to meet international standards. He and his family have strongly denied the charges against him, but after the final appeal, which was held in secret and without his knowledge, and that appeal was dismissed, there are few legal options remaining. The case against him appears to be based on his familial collection, connection to his uncle, a 53-year-old critic of the regime, a prominent religious leader in the country. He, the uncle, was sentenced to death by crucifixion on charges including insulting the king and delivering religious sermons which disrupt national unity. The king is expected to be, uh, if he has not already been executed already. Human rights organizations have urged the European Union to intervene with the country to prevent the killings. Where is this occurring? (laughs) Glad you asked. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. New king took office uh, in January of this year, King Salman, and uh, the country has carried out executions at a high rate. It's uh, 79th of the year in May. It's already close to surpassing its 2014 total of 87 execution executions. According to Amnesty International, Saudi Arabia has one of the highest execution rates in the world, exceeded only by, no, China and Iran. We're number four. Our crucifixion. Who knew? Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. I have um, not really been hectoring you a lot about this, but um, this week, U.S. military officials and defense contractors confidently proclaimed the much maligned F-35 fighter jet was uh, back on track. The Marine Corps declared its version combat ready last month, but the jet may still have a number of maintenance and reliability problems that are likely to present significant near-term challenges for the Marine Corps, according to a copy of a recent memo from the Pentagon's Director of Operational Test and Evaluation, DOT&E, released by the Project on Government Oversight. While military officials promote the F-35's performance during a Marine Corps operational test aboard an amphibious assault ship in May as a success, proof that the $400 billion fighter is ready for real-world combat deployment, the Pogo memo tells a very different story. Not only did the six F-35Bs used in the demonstration fail to achieve the number of required flight hours necessary to be declared combat ready, but in fact the DOT&D found the trials did not and could not demonstrate that the F-35B is operationally effective or suitable for use in any type of limited combat operation or that it was ready for real-world operational deployments given the way the event was structured. To qualify as a true operational test with results that would allow the DOD to determine whether it was operationally effective and ready to be deployed, testing would have had to be conducted under conditions more representative of real-world conditions, said the report. Sounds just like missile defense. The F-35... Your latest boondoggle. And speaking of military operations, we, um, we're we now, I, I think, in phase two of um, this, the, the fairly predictable cycle regarding what to do about Syria. You may remember last year uh, when the president announced his policy of arming and training the moderate Syrian rebels. 
not the ones associated with uh, al-Nusra, which is a, an affiliate of al-Qaeda, and not the ones associated with IS, Islamic State, who are the two groups most avid in fighting against the regime of Bashar al-Assad, whom the president has said must step down. No, these are the other Syrian rebels, you know, the ones John McCain has uh, been aware of for so long. And uh, at that time, when that policy was announced, of course, we were told, we don't need boots on the ground. Uh, Since then, some military in both this country and in uh, the United Kingdom have said, you know what, we need boots on the ground. Uh, Republican candidates in the uh, debates have uh, been saying we need boots on the ground. Well, that's the Republicans. Um, But this week, something other than opinion, General Lloyd Austin, commander of U.S. Central Command, was testifying before the Senate Armed Services Committee this week when uh, a senator asked him this question. General Austin, uh, when Senator Carter was here before this committee in July, he testified that there were only about 60 Syrian fighters that had been... um, trained in our train and equip program and reinserted. Uh, we've, we've heard reports about the attacks on those individuals when they were reinserted back into Syria. Can you tell us what the total number of trained fighters remains? Uh, it's a small number. And uh, uh, the ones that are in the fight is, uh, is, is we're talking four, four or five. A New York Times report on September 6 indicated that among the lessons learned from that experience was that um, these fighters should be returned to Syria in larger numbers than the 60, obviously larger than the four or five that are there. Do you agree with that? I I agree with that, uh, uh, Senator, whenever that's possible. They didn't say it would be easy. But they didn't say it would be this hard. They told me I'd be part of a team. They didn't tell me I'd be one of the few guys left. They told me I'd learn new skills. A Roger 850, you're steady on your course. They didn't tell me that would include cooking and eating rats. There's so much they didn't tell me. But here's the good part. The experiences I've had will be the best preparation possible for my future as a refugee in Croatia. Training, technology, teamwork. One out of three is not bad. Mayday, mayday, scramble all jets. Uh, There are no jets. Scramble the choppers. I'm Lance Corporal Amit, last name withheld for security reasons, and I'm a very big part of the Free Syrian Army. Surprisingly big. Maybe too big. Powered by dreams, the Free Syrian Army, an army of four or five. Turn into Iraq We 
drive the smartest bomb. We fly the fastest plane. We can squash old ISIS. One hand tied behind our brain. Oh, we got some Arab partners. The whole shebang just works. Thank the Lord we don't have to ask for soldiers from the Turks. We'll have her done by Christmas if we can catch a break. Not gonna do no walking. It's just a piece of cake. Godspeed. We don't leave no boots on the ground. Oh dear Lord, what's that sound? Just our drones buzzing round. Each one shoots. Why put boots on the ground? Should have helped the Kurds. The bad guys hear us coming, so they just disperse. They move in with the locals. That just makes things a little worse. Now before you know what's happened, we're bombing. Gals and kids. Strange thing about cans of worms—they don't come with lids. We're here another Christmas, and maybe several more. The chorus grows much louder than it's ever been. Ain't lost, just gotta get found. In for a penny, in for a pound. Absolutes, sending boots on the ground. Second thoughts start to stack. We're knee deep in Syria, mired in Iraq. Our troops—they are the very best, slogging straight through hell. Seems we got no good allies. 
Someone said 
This is Le Show, and now, ladies and gentlemen. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. The public employees responsible for overseeing $600 million in contracts to build healthcare.gov were inadequately trained, kept sloppy records, and failed to identify delays and problems that contributed to millions in cost overruns. That's all. It's according to a new government audit, audit published this week, revealing widespread failures by the U.S. federal agency charged with managing the private contractors who built healthcare.gov. That's right. A public-private partnership gone bluey. The audit by is the first to document and detail how shoddy oversight by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which manages federal health programs, including Obamacare, contributed to those early struggles, we all remember, for the website, healthcare.gov, to develop it. CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, hired and managed private companies to create vast interlocking software systems that would allow consumers to shop for insurance policies. According to the report issued by the agency's inspector general, I guess that would be the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services inspector general, lapses in oversight of those companies started early, well before the website's limping debut two years ago. The site faltered for months, as you may recall. The agency says it's already addressed some of the auditor's recommendations. Maybe uh, less sloppy records, you think? That's one of the first. And is working on others. A spokeswoman for the Department of Health and Human Services, under which CMS operates, declined to say whether any employees had been terminated or even disciplined over the lapses identified. Any bets? Another government report finds oversight of the Red Cross lacking recommending Congress find a way to fill the gap. It's uh, Where's the oversight week here at uh, News of the Inspectors General? Though the Red Cross has a U.S. government-mandated role responding to disasters, no regular independent evaluations are conducted of the impact or effectiveness of the Red Cross's disaster services, according to the Government Accountability Office. The inquiry cites reporting by ProPublica about the Red Cross's failures during, during Superstorm Sandy and misleading statements by its CEO, Gail McGovern, about how the group has spent hundreds of millions of donated dollars. The 18-month examination was requested by a congressman who also authored proposed legislation which require regular government audits of the Red Cross's finances, its response to disasters in the United States, and to its work abroad. The cooper- uh, the uh, Congressman said in an interview that the Red Cross did not cooperate fully with the inquiry, and the GAO confirmed that. When you get pushed back from the very beginning, it creates doubts and suspicion in the minds of a lot of us, said the congressman. Last year, McGovern, the CEO of the Red Cross, tried unsuccessfully to get the congressman to shut down the inquiry by the GAO, which is the investigative arm of Congress. He said that's the first of its kind he'd gotten in Congress in over 20 years. The head of the inquiry said the Red Cross did not give unfettered access to investigators. Still, he said the GAO was able to get the information it needed. While it reviewed the Red Cross's policies, it did not assess the effectiveness or sufficiency of the charity's work. The Red Cross stresses it is not a federal agency, but it was chartered over a century ago by Congress and operates as a public-private hybrid, another one of those. 
While it's funded mostly by private donations, it has an official role in the United States Disaster Response Plan. It receives a variety of benefits from the government, including tens of millions of dollars in funding. It also enjoys a $1.99 year lease on government land in Washington that the charity uses for its headquarters. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, it's it's being called a revolt by the intelligence pros who are paid to give their honest assessment of the war against IS. Instead, they're seeing their reports turn into happy, happy talk. More than 50 intelligence analysts working out of the U.S. military's Central Command have formally complained that their reports on IS and al-Qaeda's branch in Syria are being inappropriately altered by senior officials, according to the Daily Beast website. The complaints have spurred the Pentagon's inspector general to open an investigation into the alleged manipulation of intelligence. That never happens, asked Dick Cheney. And the GM settlement, you know, General Motors settled with the federal government of the United States uh, for a big fine. The worst part about this tragedy is that it was entirely avoidable, according to Christy Goldsmith Romero, Special Inspector General for the Troubled Asset Relief Program. That was the bailout agency. GM's criminal conduct defies comprehension, she said, adding the company, quote, must step up and make substantial corporate changes to prevent anything like this from happening again. The automaker has agreed to pay $150 million into a compensation fund for the families of those killed by the uh, delay in alerting officials to ignition problems and $35 million to settle civil charges with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. That's the maximum possible fine. The GM also paid billions of dollars to recall more than 30 million defective cars and trucks last year. Clarence Didlow, executive director of the Center for Auto Safety, says, I have a saying about GM. There's no problem too big that money can't solve. GM is buying its way out of a criminal prosecution. Unquote. The Department of Justice did agree to hold off on prosecuting General Motors. Those deferred prosecution agreements that you or I can't get um, charges of wire fraud and scheming to hide the defect from regulators would be the charges that they are not being prosecuted for, as well as dropping the criminal case in three years if the Detroit automaker continues to acknowledge responsibility, except independent monitoring and cooperate with authorities. The $900 million fine GM was assessed is a fraction of the automaker's $156 billion in revenue last year. The company acknowledged high-level delays and deception had contributed to roadway deaths. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, the second Republican debate is history, if history cares. And um, one of the one of the key elements, one of the key moments, for me at least, um, you know, Donald Trump has been saying how tough he'll be with Putin, with the Chinese, with the Mexicans. He had said to Rolling Stone in an interview before the debate, uh, apropos of Carly Fiorina, the one-time head of Hewlett-Packard, who was also a nominee, a candidate for the nomination. Look at that face. Who would want to have a president with that face? And then he denied later on that he was talking about her looks. Uh, The subject, of course, came up in the debate. And it sounded like Trump, who's going to stand up to Putin and the Chinese and the Mexicans, backed down to Carly Fiorina. I think women all over this country heard very clearly what Mr. Trump said.
I think she's got a beautiful face, and I think she's a beautiful woman. Now, the crowd kind of groaned there. Maybe he wasn't backing down. Maybe... It's her voicemail, sir. Yeah, thanks. I, I think I could have figured that out, but thanks. Okay, okay. Carly, it's Don. Donald, the guy with the hair. I was standing to your right the other night in the good suit. Listen, I just want to say, I meant what I said the other night. You know, I, I heard somebody say, oh, he's just saying that to get rid of the stigmata of what he said to Rolling Stone. You know me better than that, and you hardly know me. I think you are a beautiful, beautiful, incredibly beautiful person and woman. In fact, a lot of people don't know this about me. I happen to have a taste for Eastern European women. I cherish them, and I take very, very good care of them. If you don't believe me, you can ask Ivana's lawyer. But there's something different going on with you. I, I, I did look it up, but uh, Fiorina, that's Italian? You're Italian, right? So that's where that whole fiery thing comes from. I, I, I know I called you robotic, but you know what that is, right? That's because I'm very, very turned on by what I see inside you. Now, you can check with caller ID, make sure this is really me, because, you know, I wouldn't make this call if it wasn't me. I heard you on the debate talking about real leaders take chances. Carly, let's take a chance. Let's do something nobody has ever done in a presidential campaign. No candidate has ever had a thing with another candidate. I think it would be incredible. I think we would be incredible. And, of course, I can promise you complete discretion, security, the whole package. You want to go to Mar-a-Lago? Have you ever been to Mar-a-Lago? I don't think so, because I would have known about it. Let me tell you, it's huge. It's about the size of Nebraska, and it's in Florida. So it's nothing like Nebraska, except for the size, which it really isn't that big, but it gives you some idea. There's everything there, except one thing, which is you. And I will tell you this, believe me, even if people find out, which they won't, because, you know, I have the best security in the world. The Pope called me up to ask if my people could help him up on his tour. But if anything did get out, let me tell you, nothing would be better for both our campaigns. I mean, if you think I get ratings now, and I do, believe me, just think what would happen to the two of us. I mean, you know, Russia could invade Ukraine and sell the pieces to Syria, and it's, it would never make the news here. And, you know, I said you ran your company into the ground, which is something I've heard people say. But believe me, Carly... You could run all my companies in the ground if you wanted to. It's just that, what is it, that, 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 that Italian thing? Anyway, whatever you are, I just want you to know that I met it. You are beautiful. I very much want to have a little thing with you, although don't get the wrong idea, because very knowledgeable people have said there are no little things where Trump is concerned, if you know what I mean. So think about it. I mean, the best food, the best wine, the best whatever you want. You've got my number on your caller ID. Don't be stupid. Give me a call. Okay, bye. Will I end in rags? Will I lose everything I have? I'm not the only one who ever lost their way. I 
Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what microbeads are? They're not what uh, get thrown at uh, miniature Mardi Gras parades. They're uh, used in products like toothpaste, face washes. They uh, add a gritty texture, and they add to the microplastic problem in oceans, freshwater lakes, and livers. They're in, uh, rivers, but it's, they're a special concern because of many products. They're literally designed to be flushed down the drain in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. Scientists from seven institutions say that non-toxic and biodegradable alternatives exist for them, and an outright ban on the common use of microbeads is the best way to protect water quality, wildlife, and natural resources. Or not. And now, news of the warm, won't you? Well, here's good news. A new technique for securing and storing carbon dioxide could help to unlock the North Sea's vast carbon dioxide storage potential, according to researchers. Their new technique could store greater volumes of CO2. Storage within a single geological formation could be optimized by injecting CO2 at two points simultaneously. They demonstrated this in the North Sea of 
Great Britain. The UK government has described the development of carbon capture and storage as essential in mitigating global climate change. However, progress has been slow in commercializing the process. Making diesel out of thin air sounds like something from science fiction. Small companies in Germany or Canada are doing precisely this, capturing carbon dioxide and finding ways to sell it. A German company produced its first batches of so-called e-diesel in April. And the Canadian company Carbon Engineering has just built a pilot plant to suck out one or two tons of carbon dioxide from the air daily, turning it into 500 liters of diesel. The process does require electricity, but if the startups use renewable electricity, they can produce diesel that is carbon neutral. In other words, burning it in your car only returns to the atmosphere the CO2 removed in the first place. Fossil fuels, on the other hand, add to the total amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. Good news of the warm, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And finally, you know that the uh, Obama administration, as well as the administration in Britain, they both have been trying to attack the increasing use of encryption in Internet communications being... uh, adopted by Apple and Google, among others. Uh, They're now giving up, apparently, according to the Washington Post, trying to legislate a ban on encryption. Going more towards looking for a consensus. But the uh, top lawyer of the intelligence community in the United States, Robert Litt, sent an email to colleagues in August, obtained by the Washington Post, that uh, this legislative environment, which is very hostile today, he says, could turn in the event of a terrorist attack or criminal event where strong encryption could be shown to have hindered law enforcement. There's value, he says, in keeping our options open for such a situation. Unquote. I guess we should all keep our options open. And some news of the godly. A former priest in the United States accused of pedophilia was found to have escaped charges by becoming a high-profile priest and a senior member of staff at a university in Colombia's northern city of Cartagena. Members of the Catholic Church accused of pedophilia in the United States or Europe have been seeking refuge in less developed countries across South America where they can continue filling senior roles in the church seemingly innocently. Like Father Fred, who left San Antonio, Texas after being accused of child abuse and is now at the in Cartagena at the Universidad de San Buenaventura, where he holds the position of secretary, the second highest administrative rank, according to the university. In 1987, he was indicted on two second-degree felony charges of indecency with a child. He and the Diocese of San Antonio's lawyers threw more than a million dollars in cash towards settlement of the case, but the plea bargain was rejected by the judge because she did not believe that Fernandez's priest status should grant him mitigation. Maybe it does. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of Le Show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet 7.490 megahertz shortwave, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London, available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com, Around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archive whenever you want at harryshear.com and kcsn.org, and available for, as a free podcast from iTunes, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, and TuneIn, as well as wwno.org. And it'd be just like throwing the micro beads down the micro toilet, as long as they don't get into the micro drains, if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh huh. the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago and exile and Hawaii desks thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program and a playlist of the music heard here on and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts yes, they're at harryshearer.com and me, thank you for asking I'm the Harry Shearer at Twitter it's fun there it's, it's a fun Twitter. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station for the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.